All right, welcome, good morning, I'm so glad you're here. Hey, but get your Bibles out, get your devices out. Would you turn and get ready for Acts chapter 20 and James chapter five. Acts chapter 20 and James chapter five is where we're gonna be today. It has been uh, uh, several weeks in this Unblock It series. We've gotten to hear from several different speakers, Pastor Troy, uh, who is my dad, by the way. Uh, Pastor Brian, uh, one of our missionaries came by. Uh, how many got to hear Jeff speak, Jeff Duvall speak, it was awesome. We heard last week from our ministry associate, Tasha. How many of you got to hear Tasha's mess, right? Right? And then we heard from our intern, Mike Hell. Did you get to hear some of you? Yeah. One in the nine and one that was great. The series has been dealing, as you've been hearing even a lot this morning, with removing what's blocking us from God's best for our lives. And God has been challenging me. In fact, I felt a little beat up the last few weeks. Have you felt a little maybe beat up the last few weeks? And so what I want to do this morning is just take the next few minutes together to tell you how good you're doing and how you don't need to change at all. Does that sound good? No, I'm not going to. Can you imagine what a colossal waste of time it would be for us to show up to church every Sunday just to hear a message that makes us feel good about ourselves? Like that would be such a, I don't want to do that um, because I don't read anywhere in the word of God where it says, be comfortable as I am comfortable Instead, I read in 1 Peter, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were living in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy as I am holy. And that's why I'm grateful. If I could just take a moment this morning and tell you how grateful I am to be a part of a church that has a leader who is willing to make the hard hits and take the hard hits. Because I know that Pastor Troy, it doesn't give him the feel goods to get up here and challenge us a little bit, but he's willing to get up and make me uncomfortable because he loves us too much to leave us where we're at. And that leadership reflects the heart of Father God that he meets us right where we're at, but he loves us way too much to leave us where we're at. He leads us and he challenges us to move forward. And I'm grateful for that leadership that is producing pastors and pastors in training, that is supporting effective ministries, that we are a mile deep and an inch wide with a handful of effective ministries that are doing great works around the world. And I'm grateful that we're a church of relationships where we challenge and lift one another up. So I hope your marriage this month has been one of holding each other accountable. I hope your parenting has been parenting that challenges and lifts up your children. And I hope, I hope that you have humbled yourself to the point that your children are allowed to challenge you and lift you up. I hope that your friendships have been ones that are holding one another accountable and challenging one another because I don't know about you, but my life is too full my purpose is too great and my time is too short to waste moments justifying my unholiness. I just wanna be holy is what I wanna do. And so we're in the book of Acts today and I have been in the book of Acts personally for the last month. I've been reading it um, on my own. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. So let me set this up for you. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. So your Old Testament gives the story of how God created the world how he created humans and how humans messed up the world. And we've been doing it ever since. And so then God gives, in the beginning of the New Testament, he gives this series of standards and practices to help people attain holiness. He establishes his people and then he gives them the law that tells them how to be holy. The problem is the law is perfect, which only highlights people's imperfections. It's impossible to keep. And so what God did was he established animal sacrifice. And the point of animal sacrifice is that all sin leads to death 
and the sacrifice took on the death so that we would be able to be made holy. And so the Old Testament has this super fun cycle where God's people mess up, they get what they deserve, they cry out to God, God rescues them, and they mess up again. And it just keeps happening over and over and over again, which I don't know about you, but sounds pretty familiar to me. And so then the end of the Old Testament comes, the beginning of the New Testament comes, and Jesus steps up onto the scene. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the Gospels of Jesus. And Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is fully God, fully man, and he came to earth with the express purpose of dying as the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be made holy. And now anyone on earth at any time can accept Jesus as their savior, have their sins forgiven, and be made holy. And then Acts gives the history of the beginning of what we call the capital C church. The global church includes everybody that has ever followed Jesus at any time. And then uh, it tells us how that's established. And then the rest of the book, the rest of the Bible is what we call epistles, which are letters from apostles telling us how to live and what to expect in our Christian life. And so before we go to this story in Acts chapter 20, I feel compelled this morning to talk about a few frequently asked questions about the gospel of Jesus, frequently asked questions, because here's the deal. If you're in here this morning and you don't know the answers to these questions about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would be remiss if you left here without having those answers this morning. But in addition to that, if you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, you need to be ready to give these answers. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. And so we need to be prepared. We need to understand what we're doing. Is, I mean, is that fair this morning? So first, a question that you get a whole lot is, why would God allow free choice in the beginning at all if he didn't want us to sin? Why would he allow free choice if he didn't want us to sin? And I think this one is pretty easy. Would you want someone to be forced to love you or would you want someone to choose to love you? Would you want someone to be forced to love you or would you want someone to choose to love you? God gave us free will and free choice with the hope that we would choose life. He said, I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings, now choose life. Okay, but another question is, why would God call us to be perfect if it's impossible to be perfect? Why would he set us up like that? And that sounds like an oxymoron. A lot of people like to use this as an argument against the faith, but I think it's pretty simple when you start to think about it. So I want you to think about it in terms of owning a business. All right, some of you own businesses. My husband and I have owned a couple of businesses in the course of our marriage. And you own a business, you start to uh, employ people, you start to hire employees. You have to decide what type of boss you're going to be. There's a few different types of bosses you can be. You can be a lazy boss. A lazy boss will say, need not apply unless you have experience. Experience required. This is a phenomenon in our culture, isn't it? Experience required. And sometimes there's a legitimate need to ask for experience, but most of the time, they're just lazy, okay? They're saying, I want someone else to have sunk the time and the energy and the resources into training you, and now I want you to come fully trained to this job. And so a lazy boss is either not gonna get anybody to show up, or if they do, they're gonna fire them all on the first day because nobody can do it perfectly right off the bat. And so you don't wanna be a lazy boss, so you be a stupid boss, right? A stupid boss is like, you're all hired. Everybody come in, there's motivational posters on the wall. Yes, you can. 
Now do whatever you feel, right? And then you go out of business because that is a stupid boss, right? A stupid boss says, everybody do what you feel and nobody knows what they're doing and it doesn't work. And so you don't want to be a lazy boss. You don't want to be a stupid boss. You want to be a wise boss. A wise boss understands that you set standards and then you show people how to meet those standards. You set standards and then you show people how to meet those standards. A wise boss understands that in order to have effective employees, you need to sink the time into patiently showing them how to do the job. And then you will have loyal, committed, and able and capable employees. And so that's what God is. He's not a lazy boss that says, you be perfect, figure it out. And he's not a stupid boss that says you just do what you feel because he knows that what we feel is not good for us. He created us. That's why he knows what's best for us. And so he chooses to set standards and then patiently and firmly lead us in the way everlasting to meet the standard of holiness. You don't have to do what he says, but you can't benefit from the employment if you don't get with a program. Right? And so one more frequently asked question that's kind of an interesting one that comes along with the gospel is, if sacrifices made people holy, why do them? Uh, why do away with them? Why send Jesus instead? And this is important. This is important for us to know. It was never about the sacrifice. It was never about the sacrifice. See, God didn't call for animal sacrifice because he has some kind of insatiable bloodlust. The sacrifice was not what made people holy. God is what made people holy. His forgiveness is what made people holy. Sacrifice put people face to face with the consequences of their actions. Sacrifice required you to witness the death of a living thing and thereby acknowledge the fact that your sin leads to death, that my sin leads to death. And so it was not about the sacrifice. It was about it was about holiness. It was about encouraging us to live the way that God has called us to live. And so God sent Jesus for a perfect solution. And Jesus died. And now we have this opportunity to come before him and receive that holiness that he paid for with his own son because he has a good plan for us and he wants good things for us. And so none of this will ever make sense. The gospel of Jesus Christ, whether you've lived it your whole life or whether you're hearing it for the first time today, will never make sense if you don't internalize one incredible truth. And that is that God loves you. He loves you. He is for you. He is pro you. Everything that he does is for you. Even his discipline, even his standards are because he knows what's best for you and he wants the very best for you. Do you know that God loves you this morning? You can't leave here today without knowing that he is for you and that's the gospel truth. So if you don't know Jesus yet this morning, oh, you're about to. You can receive him at any given moment because he loves you and he wants you. And he wants to unblock you to remove your sin so you can live the best life that he has for you. And if you do know Jesus, you have a testimony this morning because you've already been unblocked in the biggest way possible. Your sin is no longer blocking you from the best God has for you. Hallelujah. And so that moment, by the way, that moment that you receive Jesus as your Savior is called justification. Say justification. Justification is a $10 word. It's that moment when we become right and perfect and holy in God's sight.
It's that moment that we say, God, yes, come save me, come live in my heart. And it's this amazing, miraculous moment because it's an end. It's an end to sin in our lives, but it's not the end because it's the beginning of this lifelong process called sanctification. Say sanctification. Sanctification is another big word, but it's the process of becoming holy. Sanctification is the life that we live with Jesus. When he takes us and he grows us and he changes us, the Bible says he takes us from glory to glory, from good to better, he's continually working on us. And that's what's been happening during this Unblock It series. Many of you, I would dare say most of you, knew Jesus before this series started. You'd been walking with him for some time, and so you'd already had your major unblock moment when you accepted salvation, when you were justified. But God has been dealing with us this month about other points and other ways that we need to be unblocked. Let me recap them for you. Pastor Troy, in the very beginning of this series, reminded us that nothing can stop God's purpose, plan, provision, or power in our lives. Nothing can stop that, but we can block it with our unbelief. We can block those things with our unbelief. If we don't like something, we block it. And when we choose faith, we remove the block and we receive the blessing. We remove the block and we receive the blessing. And then Pastor Troy, who is definitely the best looking of the lineup this month, is my husband. Pastor Troy talked about the lies that we tell ourselves as Christians that we're fairly good people, which is a lie. That God doesn't expect perfection, which is a lie. And that it's not our fault which is a lie. He reminded us of Paul's words that say, if you want peace, put into practice what you've learned. Obedience unblocks peace. And then Jeff, uh, one of our missionaries, made this point that I love, it stuck with me, that what disqualifies us from God's plan is our saying no to the call of God. We are qualified for the plan of God. The only thing that disqualifies us is when we say no. And so our, our block in that situation is us. And then last week, I love hearing from Tasha. She, she dropped so many points. I was writing like a madman back there. But she ultimately told us to just do it, right? Not to be a downer that doesn't believe in God's plan or a dreamer that just talks about God's plan, but to be a doer that jumps in and unblocks doubt. And then I loved what Michael, uh, the truth that he gave last week when he said, we cannot go through the door of God's opportunity if we're still carrying our baggage. We unblock opportunity by letting go of our sin and our doubt. How many of you have experienced some form of unblock in the past several weeks? Have you, have you had some unblock? I've had some unblock it moments in the last week. These are big deals that have been happening in our church body. And so I was thinking about unblocking. You know what I think of when I think of unblock? I think of a drain. Because I grew up with three sisters. So there were three sisters and me and my mom and my dad. And he was outnumbered, and he was totally bewildered most of the time, I think. He was just trying to survive. And so he would um, tell you that we are the reason he is bald. And we are, and we wear that proudly. Uh, he is bald, but we are not. And so again, five ladies with long, beautiful hair, one shower. All right? Five ladies with long... Now, if you have just like a normal amount of hair, you take a shower, a little bit of hair goes down the drain, Right? part of the shower experience, no big deal, okay? And so maybe every so often, I don't know, every so often, you notice that the drain is running a little bit slower. What do you do? 
you snake the drain, right? You unclog it, you, maybe you get some Drano, that stuff is amazing, you move on with your life. Um, but again, there were five of us. Four of us were teenagers at one time that all had this long hair and one shower. And I remember never caring my whole life what happened to the shower drain. Never occurred to me. I was just having a great time until one day I realized my dad must have been taking care of it because he stomped into the middle of our house and he announced, if the drain gets clogged again, you girls are unclogging it. And so what happened after that was every time it got clogged, which was probably like every few days at that point, he would choose a different girl to bring into the bathroom and teach us how to, how to snake a drain. I don't know if you've ever snaked a drain before, but guess what? Our drain never got clogged again. I don't think my dad has ever snaked a drain since then because that's gross. And so if I can just share with you like a, a little bit of shower etiquette for those of you long hair endowed people, you get out the shower, you grab a tissue, you wipe out the shower, problem solved. You move on, right? That's shower etiquette 101. Sin is like shower gunk. Sin is like shower gunk. It keeps building and building and building and nothing works right. And then one day God comes in. He's been there the whole time, but we acknowledge him and he comes in, he snakes the drain. He cleans the shower. He makes us better than we've ever been before, better than new. He restores us and it's this beautiful moment. And our issues after that point can be the same way. God keeps choosing different areas in our lives, our insecurities, our doubts, our bad habits. And even after we're saved, he does these big dazzling like recoveries of these places in our lives, these night and day differences. But so often we go back to how we were before the procedure. We continue the sin. We readopt the doubt. We pick back up the baggage, and it's not usually an instant, but it's this subtle building up that puts the block back into place. And we might think, is that so bad because can't God just unblock it again? He did it once. Can't he do it again? And the short answer is yes, but the long answer is, are we stupid? What a waste of time. What an insult to the grace of God. What a meandering, painful path through life to just keep having the same thing unblocked over and over again. When God unblocks something in our lives, we become free. And now we're faced with the choice to either walk in that freedom or go back to, to how we were. Look at Galatians 5.1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In other words, I gave you this gift for a reason. I unblocked it so it would remain unblocked because freedom is what's good for you. And so it's with that in mind that I want to read this story. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 20, near the beginning of your New Testament. And it's starting in verse 7. It's about a guy named Eutychus. Say Eutychus. Eutychus. It's a, it's a weird story, okay? Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Okay, we. We, the book of Acts is written by Luke, is the same author of the gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote this as an eyewitness account to what was happening here. He had traveled with Paul and so Luke was there, all right? So he's there. This is an eyewitness account. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. Say Eutychus. It's kind of fun to say Eutychus. Who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. 
Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. This is, this is a random story in the middle of the book of Acts. Okay, this is a weird story. How many of you have actually read the story of Eutychus before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, if you've read it, it's not really one you pull out off. Like, this is not a flannel graph Sunday school story, right? Like, Moses parts the sea, and Daniel in the lion's den, and you just don't hear a lot about Eutychus. But I'll tell you what, God wants to talk about him today. And I know this because I was praying about this message, and I was studying for this message, and Eutychus was not on my radar. I hadn't, hadn't read about him recently. I wasn't thinking about him. And I'm sitting there praying, and in the middle of my prayer, I heard the Lord say, Eutychus. And I knew Eutychus because I was fortunate to have a very, very strong upbringing in the faith. I'm sorry for those of you that didn't. I grew up in great churches, and I had great parents, parents who are educators and wanted us to know the Bible, okay? And if you weren't fortunate to have that growing up, you are a part of a church that is ensuring that for dozens and dozens of children, our own and the children in this community. But I had such a good foundation laid out for me that it wasn't limited to the big stories. Because my parents are both teachers, and they knew that the best way to teach a kid something is to put it into a song. And so we had Bible songs growing up. Not, not uh, Christian radio, because that's okay. And not worship songs. We had those two, those are pretty, but Bible songs. I'm talking about like raps to particular Bible stories, okay? I'm, I'm talking about like, uh, like Bible verses that we knew like, do up, do up, do up, do up. Okay, I'm talking about like weird cartoons to totally obscure Bible passages. And I do these for my kids too, but I just search it on YouTube. Like my parents drove into the next town to the Christian bookstore and they spent hundreds of dollars on cassette tapes that we listened to over and over in the car. And so, I mean, I can tell you all 66 books of the Bible in order from Genesis to Revelations to the tune of the ABCs. And so if you want to see me after, I can do that. Actually, they got so into this that I know some Spanish from that too, so I can do the days of the week in Spanish. It's a waltz O. Uh, my parents went so deep into the library that we had a cassette tape with a story about the guy named Eutychus. And I searched the whole internet, the whole thing, and I could not find this song, but I remember it was like, if you spend your time sitting on the wall, sooner or later you're bound to fall, right? That, thank you. I digress. My whole point was I just wanted to sing that song. I guess what I want to tell you today is if you're a parent in here, it's worth investing in your child's education, in their Bible education, probably more than anything else that you'll ever teach them in the entire time that you're privileged to raise them. Because that story was already in my heart, even though it wasn't on my mind. And so I know that Eutychus is not a normal story, and yet at the close of this Unblock It series, there are some truths that we can glean from this story. So I want you to look at this story together, starting at verse 7. Um, it says, Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave the next day. He kept talking until midnight. See, a founding truth of the church that is still true today is that Jesus could come at any time. And so there was an urgency in the church. Paul was giving foundational truths to the Christian brothers and sisters, and they had to hear it because they didn't know if this would be the last chance that they had to spread the gospel. That's still true today. We must have an urgency in us at all times because we never know when Jesus is going to come back, and the whole world needs to have an opportunity to hear the truth before he does. And so Paul and the believers are in this urgent situation. 
And then in verse 8, it says there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, so there's a lot of light. And then verse 9 says, Eutychus is a young man, and he was sitting in the window. And he was getting sleepy as Paul talked on and on and on, kind of like right now, right? And so there's some things that we can pick up from these verses. First of all, this was a gathering of believers. So Eutychus was a believer. And second, Eutychus made some choices. It doesn't say Eutychus tripped and fell out a window, right? He chose to sit in the window. And then Luke describes him as sinking into a deep sleep. It doesn't say he fell asleep and then he fell. It makes a distinction between sinking and being asleep. So he was nodding off, which means that Eutychus, bless his little heart, knew he was falling asleep and chose to remain in the window and allow himself to fall asleep. In my home, we use this phrase, natural consequences. Natural consequences means my son does something wrong and uh, he gets what he should get from that situation. It's not a manufactured consequence like when I give him a timeout, but it's like he's jumping on the bed. I say, hey, don't do that. He falls and bumps his head because he was doing it anyway. Natural consequence, right? Totally deserves it and I didn't have to do a thing. And so in verse 9, Eutychus experiences a natural consequence to his actions. He let himself fall asleep in a window. He falls, he dies. Dummy, right? Like, why didn't he find somewhere else to sit? Why didn't he stand up or drink some water or do something to wake himself up? Why didn't he go home and lay down in a safe place? Those are great questions. Last time you and I were sinking into something dangerous, why didn't we go somewhere else? Why didn't we get some help? Why didn't we address the situation? Why didn't we make better choices? Like a slowly clogging shower drain, Eutychus made a non-decision to allow himself to get deeper and deeper into a dangerous situation. Now, falling asleep is not a sin. Falling asleep in church hurts my feelings, but it's not a sin, all right? Uh, Eutychus' bad choice was not falling asleep. It was knowing he was headed down a dangerous path and not correcting his course. Now, was it late? It absolutely was late. Was it difficult to stay awake? It definitely was. We know that because of this practical verse, verse 8. It says there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. There were lights on. There were lights everywhere. There were so many lights that it bore writing down in this letter because somebody, some helpful Susie had come in and said, you know, it's late. It's going to be hard to stay awake in here. Let's light all the lamps. Can I tell you something? This is going to sting a little bit. Your block is not. Oh, Satan. Your block is not the church's responsibility. The burden of making sure that you don't sink into something you shouldn't does not rest with the church body, and it does not rest with the church leadership. When we are operating as a healthy church, we support one another. We do our best to help one another. We light a lot of lamps, but nobody is going to sit next to you in the window and go, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. They're just going to turn a lamp on. And speaking of lamps, there is a practical meaning to this verse, verse 8. But scripture is a double-edged sword, and there is a deeper meaning here too. Because this is not the first time in the book of Acts that we have found a gathering of believers in an upper room with a bunch of flames. When we see fire in scripture, it symbolizes the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, he called the Holy Spirit an advocate. The Holy Spirit is God. 
He's the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, he comes and fills us up. He gives us strength and power to do what we need to do. He gives us power and peace and wisdom and joy. The Holy Spirit is God in us. Now, I have heard from God. And this verse is a verse that I've read many times and a story that I already knew to song. But this verse is not a throwaway verse because there is no such thing in Scripture. It is all God-breathed, and it is all important. This verse is telling us that the stage was set physically, and the stage was set spiritually. It's telling us that the Holy Spirit was in this room, and not just that he was there, but that the other believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at verse 8. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. There were other believers there filled with the Holy Spirit, staying awake, leaning into what Paul was saying, learning and being the church. And so if you thought that last part stung, hear me this morning, church, your block cannot be removed by someone else's faith. Your block cannot be removed by someone else's faith. And you say, wait a minute, Trin. One verse later, Paul marched downstairs and by his faith, he prayed and he raised Eutychus from the dead. Well, sure. But Eutychus was dead, all right? He was dead. This was a miracle of Paul's faith, and Eutychus was given another chance, but he could very well have been left for dead, and many are. Eutychus gambled, and he won with grace, but natural consequences say that when we sink, we die. You don't come back from death unless you're Eutychus. Okay, we're going to play Bible Mythbusters for a second, Okay. I loved Brian's message a few weeks ago. He reminded us that we sometimes tell ourselves lies and we accept those lies as truth because they sound good. We go ahead and say things like God doesn't expect perfection, which is not true, but it sounds good. So we allow it to become truth. I want you to look at James chapter five. It's near the end of your New Testament, James chapter five, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read it to you. It's up on your screen. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This letter is addressed to believers, people who have already gone through the unblock of justification, and now they're on the journey to remove all the blocks through sanctification. Let them pray. Let let them call the elders. And then in verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Church, it would be really, really easy to take these verses at face value. And it would, it would be easy to take them to mean that our elders, our church leaders need to be righteous so that they can pray over us and those prayers will be powerful and effective. They pray for us and it makes it all better and removes the block, but that's not what it says. It says the elders pray over us, they pray with us, but there aren't any throwaway scriptures. And so in the middle of these instructions on healing in verse 15, it says this, If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Church, the powerful and effective prayer comes from us when we are righteous. And we are made righteous by sanctification. Now, I have made a semantics change in my ministry. 
I started uh, some years ago, and I, in my ministry, would say this to people. I would say, I'm praying for you. And I made a decision, a, a deal with myself a long time ago that I would never, ever say those words in vain. So if I've told you that I'm praying for you, I am. I'm praying for you by name, on purpose. I have a list I pray off of every morning. My husband and I have one we pray off of every night. If I've told you I'm praying for you, it is by name, on purpose. I'm taking time out of my week. But in the beginning of my ministry, I noticed that I was getting this response a lot, something like this, thank you, I need it. And I started to get a little bit frustrated because there was this big giant thing that apparently I was the only one praying for. It's your problem. You pray for it. Okay? And so, no, if you said something like that to me, like, don't, don't sweat it. Okay? It's just words. And I'm not the easily offended whippersnapper that I was 10 years ago. But because of this issue, I started saying this to people. I am praying with you. I am praying with you. And at least in theory, for me, that meant that I was encouraging the other person to pray for themselves. My faith can't remove your block. Your faith can't remove my block. The collective faith of our pastoral team, our elder team, and our entire church body cannot remove our blocks. It is our faith and our righteousness that will unblock us. Is God speaking to you today? We are headed toward the end of this. And so I want you to look at this story. There was urgency. Eutychus made some decisions, so he was sinking. Eutychus fell and he died. Paul ran to him. Eutychus was unblocked, as we all are by Christ. And then, what does it say in verse 11? It says, then they went upstairs and they broke bread. They moved on. The agenda of the evening was preaching and breaking bread, and that's what they did. Eutychus's issue did not diminish the urgency of what was happening to the body of Christ. And then in verse 12, I want you to look at this. It says, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now here's where I love the writings of Luke. Because Luke was a physician. Luke was an educated guy. He was astute. He was sassy. Because here's what we get from verse 12. It says, Eutychus didn't die again. Eutychus managed to stay alive. There was still a window. Paul still preached until the early hours of the morning. But Eutychus, Eutychus managed to stay alive. Because, like, I want you to imagine how angry you would be if, if the story said, then he went back up, he sat back in the window, he fell back asleep, and he died. Imagine for a minute that Eutychus went to new life. Because we're a sassy bunch around here. Like, they'd Paul bring Eutychus up and we'd be like, somebody get Eutychus some coffee, right? Oh, Eutychus, do you need a high chair? I gotta buckle you in. Because, like, he got himself into that stupid situation. So often when we become unblocked, when we're released from our sin or we're delivered of a bad habit or we're encouraged in the middle of despair, we go back to the situation that put us there in the first place. I heard a comedian talk recently about how he was baptized when he was 13, like when he was a kid. And he said that on the day he was baptized, the pastor had him go first. And he was joking that the reason the pastor had him go first was because he was 13 and his testimony wasn't very good. Like he was like, the worst thing that ever happened to me was like, I didn't get picked for the soccer team. But then I realized God loved me anyway, right? And he was like, and the guy that went last was like, I've been on drugs for 40 years. And he was like, you, that's your closer. Like that's, that's the guy that closes out the, the baptism, right? We put a lot of emphasis on the salvation part of our testimony, don't we? We like to tell the story of when Jesus came in and he justified us. When we accepted him as our savior, he snaked the drain. 
He restored the shower. He made us new. And that is very, very special. In fact, I want to celebrate with you for a moment. Pastor Troy on Wednesday celebrated 30 years to the day that he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That is a huge deal. That's huge. If you're fortunate enough to know to the day when you accepted Jesus, that's more important than your regular birthday. That bears celebrating all the time. That moment of justification is only the beginning of your testimony. The rest is found in the sanctification process, in not going back, in moving from glory to glory. Our testimony is found when Jesus snaked the drain and then we didn't let it get blocked again. It's how God raised us from the dead and we didn't sink back to sleep in the same window. So the worship team's going to come. We're almost done here today. I'm a big believer in sunscreen, and it's because I have one thing in common with Snow White. I am the fairest of them all. Not the best looking. I'm just really, really pale. Like, I will, I will burn as I'm going from my car to the front door. That's a true story. Is anybody like that in here? You just, yeah, you need sunscreen all the time. I, seriously, I've had some, like, record-breaking sunburns in my life that I will never forget. I've gotten blisters before. And so I wear sunscreen truly every day. And I put it on my kids because between me and my husband, like, they had no chance. They were going to be hopelessly white. And so they're just, I mean, every single day, right? Because they'll burn no matter what. And in the... The eight years that we've been married, I have taught my husband many, many things because I am wise. And, um, but one of them is the importance of sunscreen, right? And so I've gotten him like halfway on board. He will put on sunscreen. He'll do it, right? But see, I am wise and I will read the instructions on the bottle because there's a very important set of instructions on that sunscreen bottle that says reapply every two hours and I will do that my husband will not he'll be like I'm fine I already put the sunscreen on and I will reapply I'll put it on our kids every two hours and guess who does not get burned every single time we go outside right right here because I understand that sweat and water and time will erode the barrier so even though it feels like I still have sunscreen on I still need to reapply the sunscreen. If you're a Christ follower in here this morning, I believe God would say to you that it is time to reapply your unblock. You were unblocked when you were forgiven of your sins. Have you gone back to the sinful behaviors? You were unblocked when you were released from addiction. Have you put yourself back in the path of temptation? You were unblocked when you were given wisdom and a calling. Have you dragged your feet, chosen not to move in the direction God told you to go? You were unblocked when you were released from anxiety, depression, hopelessness, shame, fear. Have you moved away from faith and allowed these evils to overtake you again? It is not the church's responsibility to reapply your unblock. Someone else's faith can't reapply your unblock. It is your unblock. It was given to you. And you choose every day whether to reapply it or abandon it. Your testimony began with the memory of when Christ unblocked you, when he justified you. But if you don't continue in the journey of sanctification by reapplying your unblock, it will remain just a memory. And you will be no better than you were before. If you are in here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally as your savior, if you've walked away from him and he is no longer Lord of your life, I need you to hear me this morning. 
you have the opportunity to make the decision to let Jesus be your savior, to be justified and unlocked today. But we don't believe in bait and switch salvation in the church. So you need to know the whole thing. When you accept Jesus, it will be the biggest, best decision of your entire life. And tomorrow you will make the biggest, best decision of your entire life. And the next day you will make the biggest, best decision of your entire life. And the next day and the day after that and the day after that. Because we follow Jesus every day of our lives for the rest of our lives, no holds barred. Because that is the decision, the best decision that we could ever make. And this morning, if you already know Jesus, but you're blocked up, it's time to reapply that unblock. So I'm gonna ask you to follow the Lord in obedience, and bow your head and close your eyes. Why? Because you need a quiet moment alone and so does the person next to you. You need a quiet moment to respond to the Holy Spirit who was set in here earlier today, invited in as we worship together and now is moving among us and if we allow him moving in us and through us. So it doesn't matter what I said today. It matters what he's speaking to you. This morning, if you don't know Jesus or if you have walked away from Jesus, you've gotten blocked up again. It's okay. It's not all right, but it's gonna be okay. Because he loves you and he's willing to come with his resurrecting power and he's willing to help. I said this morning with no eyes looking around because this is a private moment if you need to accept or re-accept Jesus as your Savior, to experience your ultimate unblock and to have a birthday in here today, would you raise your hand? Jesus. Oh, you can put it down. Jesus. <laughs> so this morning I'm gonna ask for everybody to repeat this after me and there's no magic in words but there is incredible power in prayer and so I'm gonna ask everyone to repeat and if you mean this in your heart this is the moment this is the unblock say dear God I'm sorry forgive my sins and my disobedience make me new and walk with me as I become new. I commit myself to you in Jesus' name. And now if you're in here this morning, still with your eyes closed, still with your head bowed, still meditating on how the Holy Spirit is moving. If you've been walking with Jesus, but you have not reapplied your unblock, if you have received healing, or you have received freedom, or you have received wisdom, or you have received a call, and you have not been walking in that newness of life, it's time to reapply. And so if you're ready for that commitment this morning, would you stand to your feet? Just stand up. Just stand up. 
just stand up. God, I'm sorry I let it go this far, but God, I'm not gonna let it go any farther. Just stand up, just stand up. God, I'm sorry I put myself in the path of temptation, but I know that you can bring me back from the brink. Just stand up, just stand up. God, we come before you as a body of believers today, believing not just in what you did, but in what you can do. And so we repent this morning. We repent not as slaves fearing punishment, but as children assured of your love, knowing that in spite of natural consequences, you are a supernatural God who can take what the devil intended for harm and turn it around for good. And so we receive that unblock this morning. We're sorry for abandoning it before, but we re-receive it today. We pick it back up and we ask you to do what you want to do in our lives. So Holy God, forgive us and now sanctify us, making us holy as you are holy. Church, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up this morning just as we close today as our pastor comes to bless us would you stand up would you look around this room and would you know that in the spirit realm and in the physical realm this morning you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses if you're here you're a part of this and we're grateful that you are a part of this family so continue to reapply your unblock in such a way that it will encourage others to reapply theirs and in that way the whole world will know the saving power of our Savior. Hallelujah. Wow. I, 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 we had meat and potatoes today, didn't we, guys? Can we just say thank you, Pastor Trinity? We appreciate your studying and your prayer. Amen. Hallelujah.